Okay, there's a story. There's a story that concerns, not concerns, there's a story that's told about Yaakov Avinu coming to Mitzray. It's not the big story of how Yosef convinced him, forced him into it, it's not the story of Binyamin and the story of Shimon and the story of Yehuda. It's not the big story. It's a little story. In the story. There's a little story. And sometimes that happens. And we're going to look at the little story that's in the big story and try to understand what the point might be. So the story is this. Perik Mem Zion Pasuk Zion. Yaakov comes to Mitzrayim. He's a dignitary by his own right. But also he happens to be the father of Yosef. Yosef is uh, almost the king of Egypt. I mean, maybe not officially, but certainly wields the power of a king of, of Egypt. That's Yosef. So Yosef brings Yaakov Aviv, and he places him, he puts him up in front of Pharaoh, which I guess means that he told his father, he said, Dad, you know, this is Pharaoh, the one with the snake coming out of his head, you know. That's Pharaoh. Okay, great. Yaakov et Pharaoh. And Yaakov gave uh, uh, a bracha to Paro. Now you know that in Hebrew, well for us, you know, the word bracha is loaded. You know, a bracha, that, that's a pretty serious thing, even though it's true that in modern Hebrew, when you say bracha, you just mean hi, how are things, you know, that's a bracha, all's well, I hope. That's also a bracha. But the bracha was sort of devalued over the years. But in the early times, when Jews talk about, spoke about bracha, it was something that had a lot of meaning. So it sort of stops us at first. And we say, like, well, what did Yaakov really do? Was it just a politeness? In which case, why is the Torah interested in telling us the story or the fact that he gave a bracha to the king of Egypt? You know, that's the way we are. We always ask that kind of question because we don't like the trivialization of the Torah. <clears throat> so we look at Rashi, which is our first call, always. And Rashi says, He she'elat shalom kiderech kol hadnirim lifneham lachim lifrakim. So Rashi says, you know, you know how it is with kings? When you go to see a king, you don't say, how you doing, Jack? You say a formula. You say some kind of an accepted, uh, so bracha, according to Rashi, doesn't mean that Yaakov blessed the king of Egypt. But it means that Yaakov said what everybody who comes to visit the king of Egypt from time to time says, whatever that is, abracadabra, right? He said whatever people say. So Yosef prompted him. And he said, here in Egypt, when you go to see the king of Egypt, this is what you say. And he said, that's what happened. That's the story. Then, Vayomer Parol Yaakov, Kama Yemei So they hear the story gets a little bit more complicated, or, or more difficult to understand. Parol, is not impressed particularly by Yaakov, but he is impressed either that he is old, or that he looks old, or that for a guy who looks that old, he's made a pretty long trip down to Mitzrayim, or something like that. You know, one of the above. How many nation I have? It's hard to imagine that Paro here was exercising some kind of prophetic spirit that was trying to compare his age to the age of his father or his grandmother. So he had to say, Pharaoh was expressing his personal interest. <coughs> How old are you? And you know, and Pharaoh gives this, you could call this the Jewish answer. 
You know, you say to a Jew, uh, how old are you? I feel terrible. <laughs> they don't tell you how old they are. They say, how are things going? Oh, you know, it's worse than ever. But it's like, you, you don't, Jews, they don't exactly answer the question. They say what they want to say. So here's ya Yosef, uh, the king of Egypt, says to Yaakov, how old are you? So Yaakov should have answered with a number. What does he say? He says, There's never met him for him. Here's Yaakov. He's coming to Mitzrayim. The king of Egypt is going to give him a place to live. A few cars, probably credit cards. Stay out in Goshen. Everything will be fine. What does he say to him? Oh, I've had a miserable life. And every year has been a tragedy. And why, why should Pyro be interested in this? And as the Ramban says, we'll see, I, I haven't lived as long as my father's. How do you know you haven't lived? He's not dead. How does he know he didn't live as long as his father's? I mean, usually children don't live as long as their father's until they live. For a long time, maybe it's Hashem. What kind of answer is that? I didn't live as long as my father. I mean, he was once born. When he was born, he probably didn't live as long as his father either. I mean, what, what's the... I mean, if they were all dead. So I could understand the conversation. But they're not all dead. And besides which, why is Pyro interested in all of this? What, what is it that attracts? Or that Yaakov thinks Pyro... Or maybe Yaakov, he just sounds like he's like sitting on that park bench. You know, they sit on the park bench and, you know... You want to hear about my last operation? Uh, let me tell you about my operation. You know, on the bench. Yeah, Yaakov says, oh, he's interested. Oh, I'll tell you what a miserable life I had. How terrible it is. I see king of Egypt. You look good. You know, you wear this fancy clothes. It all fits. Made to order. Not like us, you know. Ah, so anyway, that, so I don't understand the conversation. Do you understand the conversation? Vayavarech. Yaakov et paro, vayetzei milifnei paro. So now you have the second vayavarech. So if the first vayavarech was Audi, you know, not really a bracha, but just a kind of, hello, how are you? So what's the second vayavarech? So we have to look at Rashi. We have to look at Rashi. Rashi says in Pasuk Yud, you see Rashi in Pasuk Yud? In other words, I don't know the last time any of you went to see a king or a queen, but you know that when you leave a king or a queen, I think it's supposed to bow down and indicate that you're sort of waiting for permission to leave. Just like you need permission to come, you need permission to leave. I don't want to make the obvious comparison between the halachas of uh, davening, when we say Shimon Esrei, we sort of, Hashem's it's a kind of a, a way in, right? And here, it's a way back, a way away from, from a confrontation with the Melech. I mean, of course, uh, it's not exactly a time-space kind of thing, but the comparison is not unreasonable. But anyway, all of this is understanding. Rashi therefore says that when Yaakov met Paro, he did a secular act, which in the Torah is called bracha. And when he left Paro, he did another secular act, non, non-religious habit, like the way it is. And he said, okay, uh, uh, Kingi. But then Rashi, because Rashi is Rashi, and Rashi has the same problem that we have in trying to understand what exactly is going on. So Rashi adds something. I mean, I say Rashi added it because Rashi is a creation called Rashi. Even though the pieces that he uses comes from Chazal, but the result is Rashi. I mean, the result is the way we read the Chumash is Rashi. Even though the stuff that Rashi uses to teach us how to read the Chumash is all there. It's all on his shelf. He just pulls it down. So what did he pull down? Listen to this. <coughs> In other words, this is a different pshat. In other words, that Rashi says, but still, 
the word bracha would have only been used in the Torah if there's a real bracha. If there's something happening, some kind of information that Yaakov is giving to Paro, Melech Mitzrayim, which could be called a bracha. And now listen to what the bracha is. Sheyaled nilus liraglav. Nilus is denial. That denial should come up to the feet of Paro. Lefi. She'ein Eretz Mitzrayim shotamei b'sham kishamim. Ela nilus olam You know that the Egyptians were godless people. And the reason that they were a godless people was because they were sustained by the Nile. And the Nile would overflow and water the lands, and the agriculture would only be dependent on the Nile. Whereas in Eretz Yisrael, the agriculture was dependent on the rain. And the rain, because of the rain, I mean, that's what the Chumash says, we had to daven. We have to daven for rain, because rain is unpredictable. The only thing predictable about rain is that it'll rain in the winter, but not in the summer. But it doesn't always rain when you want it to rain. And it doesn't always refrain from raining when you want it to refrain from raining. So, people who live in that kind of world, turn to God. Right? That's why we say the bracha, v'tein talamata lebracha. It's not just because it's that time of year, but because it's something to pray about. It's something that is not guaranteed. Whereas the Nile, the overflowing of the Nile was always guaranteed in, in Egypt, and therefore they didn't have much to pray about. But apparently, during the Sheva Shnot Ra'av, get back to the biggest story, there were seven years of famine. In other words, they couldn't grow the crops. If they couldn't grow their crops, it must be that the Nile did not overflow regularly. There was no water, and therefore nothing grew. So Yaakov, here's Yaakov, he meets up with Paro. And Paro is a little worried, like he's got a furrow here and he's got a furrow there, because even though they're doing all right with Yosef, but he's hoping that Yosef's prediction that the seven bad years would come to an end in fact is true like when you're in the famine when you're having a famine, you're having a drought you don't always think about how good it's going to be when it finally ends you're wondering about whether you'll still be there when it ends so along comes Yaakov Avinu and he meets up with Paro and he says to Paro, listen, this is my bracha that I've given you, according to Rashi, I'll give you a bracha, back to Rashi, look at the Rashi. Ma bracha bercho, sheyalinus adilus liraglav. Vishayin Eretz Mitzrayim shota meg shabim, because Eretz Mitzrayim is not dependent on rainwater. Elanilus oleh mashkeh. But the way it is, is the denial overflows, and everybody gets, you know, and, and, the, and the water irrigate, irrigates the land. Rashi quotes Chazal from the time that Yaakov Avinu gave this bracha to to Paro there was a change in Egypt. Let's see, Paro would come in the morning and he would stand next to the Nile. So it turns out, I mean, this is, the, this is what Raji says, that Yaakov Avinu came and said to, to, to the king of Egypt, Listen, I understand you're in a bad situation. I want to give you a broth. So, what broth did you give to a person in a bad situation? Well, the bad situation goes away. What if you're really good at giving brachas? Right? So you don't just say, I hope it'll go away. You say, it's going away. And then if he asks you, how do I know it's going away? So you tell him, just go to the Nile. Go tomorrow morning, go to the Nile, stand there, you'll see that the water's going to pour out of the Nile and irrigate the land. And if the water pours out of the Nile and irrigates the land, then what happens to the prophecy of 
Yosef or the dream that Paro had, what happened to it? I don't know. In other words, you would think it would be odd. This was all the fortune asks. Don't you think it's odd that according to Rashi, the brocha that Yaakov gave Paro contradicted the dream that that Paro had? Because the dream that Paro had was that the famine would go on for seven years. And as we'll see, this is only after two years. And along came, along came uh, Yaakov, and he said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. You're going to have a little bracha here, and uh, you know, and the water will flow, and things will grow, and all will be well. That's the story that Rashi tells us. That's the story that Rashi tells us. And then, um, then there's more of a story, right? More of a story. Pasigur Aleph. So Yosef did as Paro directed. Then you have this pasuk. Yosef et aviv et echav ve'et kol beit aviv lechem l'fi hatav. So it sounds like after the bracha was given, after the situation was changed, after the remedy was suggested, Yosef still has to provide sustenance for his family, for his father, and for all of the children. Which makes it sound as though it didn't happen. Because if it would have happened, and they were growing stuff all over Egypt, so Yaakov could have gone to the supermarket and bought food. I mean, but since Yosef still had to continue feeding everybody, it sounds like, sounds like nothing happened. Sounds like nothing happened. Okay, well, we've, we've read a few, a few psukim. We could read a few more, they're all interesting. But let's see what the Ramban has to say about all of this. The Ramban says, <coughs> well, the Rabban starts from Pasuk Yudchet, I'm sorry. It was, you know that things continued to be bad and the Egyptians came to Yosef, they sold everything to him, and then Pasuk Yudchet, if you look at Pasuk Yudchet, Vatitoma Shana Ahi, Vayavo Elav Vashana Sheinit, Vayomrulo, in other words, that year ended, the year when they ran out of property and had to give everything to Yosef to buy food. And then the second year, or the year after that, So you know that what develops is that not only do things not get better, but they seem to get worse. And the Egyptians, the people in Egypt, were no longer able to pay for the food that they needed after the Shana Shainit. I'm not translating that because that becomes the subject of some uh, interest amongst the, amongst the Mephoshim. The Shana Shainit. So, things got worse and worse, right? So you see there's a brocha, and things get worse and worse, and no one has anything to eat, and they have to start selling their, everything they own in order to get food, and finally they sell their land. They give all their land to they give all their land to Paro. Right? That's the story. So that whatever the bracha that Yaakov gave to the king of Egypt was, it was not so effective. It didn't do what it was supposed to do. So now let's look at the Ramban. The Ramban says this. He says, the word the second year of famine means of the famine years. It means two out of seven. They came to him on the second of the seven years. Right? That's a, that's a pasuk above. So Rabban says, well, let's look at it again. Look at the story here. 
The story is that first Yosef said seven years. Then Yaakov came and he said, Brocha. And then it was shortened somehow to two years. And he says, this is clearly stated in the Tosefta. Uh, uh, again, that's Roshon Rashi. The Breshit also. So there's a passage in Yechezkel that says that in Egypt there's going to be 40 more years of famine, and so that makes up in part for the, for the years they lost out. So it, it was like, it, there suddenly is a tension in reading the text. The tension in reading the text is between the promise of the dream, which is that there will be seven years of famine, and the fact that Yaakov Avinu comes and gives a bracha and says, okay, that's it, it's over. And so according to the Rambam, this is what Rashi meant to say. Rashi meant to say that the seven years were exchanged for two years, then therefore in this posuk, posuk Yudchet, where it says, means the second of the seven, but the last. The last year, because after that year, the bracha of Yaakov Avinu takes effect. The MK in the Rabbah, the Rabbah says, this is how I understand Rashi. This is what Rashi wanted to say. That the seven years of famine turned into two years of famine, and bad became good, and Yaakov Avinu was there, gave a bracha to the king of Egypt, and everybody lived happily ever after. So the Ramban goes on and says, MK, he says, I don't understand. It would turn out, therefore, that Yosef's interpretation of the dream was wrong. Because Yosef said clearly there were seven years of famine. Yaakov came along and said, okay, two is enough. So according to the Ramban, there's a problem here. Because Yosef was acting, representing the Rebbeinu Shalom, right? Yosef was acting, representing the Rebbeinu God said seven years. Allah comes Yaakov, and Yaakov says, two years is enough. And not only that, we didn't get into the other question, but how is he going to end the famine? By telling the king of Egypt to kind of get friendly with the Egyptian god, that is the, the Nod. Okay, that's what it says. What? I don't know anything about Ramban. The Ramban doesn't mention it. That's only in history books. You can't trust history books. Now, line, the fifth line. So he says, why would Yaakov want to do that? Because now all the Egyptians are going to say, instead of saying, well, we're happy that the famine is over, they're also going to say, this Jewish guy, Yosef, he didn't know what he was talking about. It was all wrong. We had five good years. We always had five good years. And then we had a little famine. Two years, one around. Five years, seven years is a tragedy, but two years, one around. Yosef, maybe they, maybe they said a swore that in, in Canaan there were seven years of famine. But that doesn't mean there have to be seven years of famine in Egypt. I will be Mitzrayim here. Ad Yaakov Avinu, Elai Yaol, Einei Karol, Einei Kol Mitzrayim. Baruch Ol Amosha Allah Nilos Likrato. But in Egypt, Yaakov Avinu himself, this is what Rabban says, went down to the Nilos. And the Nilos started, you know, singing and dancing. It was like Yamsuf, but just, you know, like, a, like an earlier version. And everybody knew, everybody knew that Baruchah is in the control of the Prophet, the Navi. The Navi here refers to Yaakov Avinu. In other words, what is the, the, what is the Rabban trying to wrestle with? He wants it to come out good. He wants Yaakov to do something good for the Jewish people, for his son, for the enterprise. He doesn't want Yaakov to mess it up. Here's Yosef, he's in a privileged position because 
His interpretation was accepted. That's Yaakov. That's Yosef. So Yaakov, is he going to come and mess it up? Under the guise of Baruchah, is he going to say, oh, my son said seven years, but we can, like, you know, short-circuit it. We'll press two buttons and we'll get whatever we need. So he says, no. This was Adrav, it was a Kiddush Hashem. They also that Yaakov could do it, and he was the great man, and he was the novice, it's great. Vim came. It doesn't mean, when it says that Yosef fed the family, it doesn't mean that they couldn't go to the supermarket and get food on their own. It just means that, that that's what Yosef did. He felt it was part of the mitzvah, keep it over end. So he supplied the food that his father needed. In Kolzeh. Anita Meir. He says, in spite of all this dreading that I'm doing, the Rabbah says, I'm trying to fit it in. Anita Meir. Shem Kein Lo Yachalom Emet. Because at the end of the day, it turns out that the dream that Taro had was not true. Meaning that the interpretation that Yosef suggested that all the Egyptians were so excited about was simply not true. Because he said seven years of famine. And according to this whole interpretation, there were only two years of famine. And whether or not it was because of Yaakov or not because of Yaakov, the question with the dream, even if Yaakov himself did a Kiddush Hashem, even Yaakov himself, like, you know, everybody said, wow, Yaakov, he's the greatest. But what happened to the interpretation of the dream which came to Yosef by his own announcement from God? So it came from God and now it's like we, we just jumped the whole thing. And that's the question of the, of the Ramban. Ki herbulo et ha-gzera velo How could it be? that Yosef saw that Paro had the dream and Yosef had the interpretation and they just told him what was happening, you know, there was going to be famine, but didn't tell him the details correctly. Didn't tell him the details. This is a, the Rabban says that this is a cash. The man says that this is a cash. You know, as I'll say that every dream has a little something that's not true in it. Do you know that? You know? So you don't have to figure it out. You know, people have dreams and they want to figure it out. You don't have to figure it out. Because you don't know which part of your dream is not true. And since you don't know which part of your dream is not true, it's kind of hardly worth the effort to try to figure out what the dream means. So, you can, like, rest easy about that. And I see in the Josefta another idea. That Yaakov Avinu died. And how many years of famine were there according to the Josefta? Two years. How many years are left over from the original dream? Five years. So the Josefta says, I see. Imagine that. The five missing years started up again. So you see, he says, I'll show you in the Tosefta and in the Sifri. There is this idea that there's got to be some kind of synthesis. It's true. Yaakov Avinu was able to get rid of the, get rid of the Gzairah and turn year number three into a year of great sustenance. But the five years that were missing had to return during the period of time after Yaakov Avinu died. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Ainsa Kiddush Hashem, Shedibrei Tzadikim Kayamim Chayhem, Venitalei Me'achamim Tatav, so he says. So Rabbi Shimon says, 
I don't understand. So it turns out, according to that opinion, that Yaakov Avidu said, Brocha. And somehow in heaven they said, okay, as long as Yaakov Avidu is around, we'll let him get away with it. But when Yaakov Avidu dies, we're going to go back to our original position. So Rabbi Shimon says, where's the Kiddush Hashem? Where's the, I mean, how can we make people from on that basis? They're all going to say, that was a lucky call, Yaakov Avidu, you know, like a lucky one. He said there's not going to be a, uh, a famine, or that everything's going to be better. I said, who's better for a short while? But then we went back to the famine. So what difference does it make to us if we have a two-year hiatus and then five more years of famine? I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing. So what did Yaakov Levine do for us? Nothing. So, so Rabbi Shimon says, how come? What, is that what the Torah tried to show us? That, that the tzaddikim can affect things in the world, but it doesn't mean anything? Because at the end, at the end, the famine, the years of famine, have kind of come back. sub-idea. It's almost as the Tanaim are trying to say that there's a new lesson that the Torah is teaching us. It has something to do with tzaddikim and with brachim. And that the bracha that the tzaddikim are able to influence in the world is conditional upon them existing or living. But as soon as they die, the influence also waxes or wanes, wanes. The influence will wane. So, uh, it's like a different idea. There's nothing to do with the story of Yosef. It's nothing to do with Yaakov and Paro. It's like a general idea somehow embedded in this story according to the Ramban, according to the Ramban, according to the Septa, according to the Sifri, is an idea that Tzaddikim have a limited effect on things. That Tzaddikim can change things, but the change is dependent on the Tzaddik. On the Tzaddik like maintaining that kind of position. That's what the Ramban says. Then he goes on and he, and he quotes the Ibn Ezra. We're going to, I'm going to skip the Ibn Ezra because uh, uh, I just want to get finished. You see, it's, it's the 11th line from the top of the page. So the Ramban doesn't like this whole thing. And according to the Ramban, it's inconceivable that the famine ended in two years. And because if the story is that Yosef took all the money from all the Egyptians, how could he do that in a year? I will like, Kesef, he speak like confirmation, whatever that means. He says that it's clear that the money must have been sufficient for more years. In other words, the Rabbat says, But you want to know the Pshat? The Pshat is, let's ignore this bracha business of Yaakov. Let's learn it like Rashi learned it in the first opinion. That Rashi says bracha when he came in meant howdy. And bracha when he went uh, meant so long. That, it had nothing to do with the exalted notion of bracha. And therefore the seven years of famine were seven years of famine. And the second year that's mentioned is the second year of the seven. And everything goes on in that way. That's what the Ramban says. so I want you to know. You have an interesting Ramban. The Ramban says, the Ramban says this. What about Rashi? Rashi said something about a bracha, 
and the Nile and everything ending or good things happening. So the Ramban says, yeah, it's true. There is this tradition which appears in the Tosefta and appears in the Medrash which says that Tzadikim had the wherewithal to induce or introduce Bracha into a situation. Even a situation which was preordained by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to be a negative situation. However, that Koyach, the Ramban says, that Koyach that uh, the Tzadikim have, the Koyach that the Tzadikim have, is only while they're alive. And when they die, the Bracha <laughs> passes out of the world. That's what the Ramban says, Rash. And then the Ramban says, but there's also Pshat. And the Pshat is that the Torah is not talking about Bracha, it's talking about Haudi, and it's talking about so long, and in fact the brother, the famine was seven years, and after the two years the things are getting worse, and in the sixth year they bought all the, uh, uh, Yosef was able to buy all the land in Mitzrayim, and they made it through to the seventh year, and that's the end of the story. The Rabban has, tells us two stories. There are two stories. And obviously, I would say, that if the Ramban thought that the Derech of Shat was right and that the Derech of Rashi was wrong, then the Ramban would say, start off with the Pshat and then make a little footnote and say, and Rashi is misleading us. That's not the real interpretation, but the Ramban does the opposite. First he goes into a lengthy discussion of Rashi and then he says, and then he says, and there's also Pshat, which is, as you know, exactly the same thing as Rashi said. Because what did Rashi say? That when Yaakov met Paro, he said, what you say when you meet a kid? And when Yaakov left Paro, he said exactly what you say when you leave a king. That's called Pshat. And then Rashi added that not only is there Pshat, but there's also some other story that is taking place. Some other story which is being played out before. So stories, two stories, taking place at the same time in the text of the Torah, which happen to contradict each other. Because according to one story, the seven years of famine were continuous. That's the simple story. And according to the other story, there were two years of famine. Then there was a lot of brocha, then Yaakov died, and then there were five more years of that. Right? Five more years. So I want to remind you. I want to remind you, although you must all be thinking about it already. In the parasha called Lech Lecha. It's not on these psukim, but not on the sheets, because you should know them about that. In the parasha called Lech Lecha. <laughs> I mean, I know about Balpeh, but it's harder to find it. You know, when Avram Avinu was told by a Kaddish Baruch Hu to leave the land of his fathers and go to Eretz Kedah, he said some things to him about what was implied. He said, You'll become a great nation. And then he said, Ve'avarechecha. HaKadosh Baruch will bestow bracha upon Avram Avinu. I mean, this is not exactly a bribe, I think. It's a description of the reality. If Avram Avinu goes, he will become a great nation. And he will be blessed by God. Va'adadla shemecha. I will make your name great. Ve'yei bracha. And this is a little bit difficult. Ve'yei bracha. You will be a bracha. Right, you remember Rashi? Remember Rashi? What bracha? Mogen Avram. That you will become a bracha. But if we don't use Rashi, ve'yei bracha, it means that something about you will be bracha. In order to be bracha, it's, it's got to be an influence. Bracha is something that has to go someplace. It has to do something. Ve'yei bracha. 
And then, and the relationship that you, Avram Avinu, is going to have with the entire world is going to be Bruch. People who are nice to you, they will be blessed by HaKadosh Baruch. Or people who are not nice to you will be cursed by God. And then you have this Pasuk, this phrase, V'nivrichu b'cha kol mishpechot ha'adama. Terek yudet pasuk gimu. V'nivrichu b'cha. They will be blessed through you. Who's they? Kol mishpechot ha'adama. And when you think about it, it's really interesting. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's telling Akhmavino, look, we're in this together, so to speak. So he could have said to Avramavina, you'll be the biggest, you'll be the strongest, you'll be the richest, you'll be the mostest. I mean, of all the verbs in Hebrew that you could use to describe a good result for Avramavina, the last one that you might imagine the Torah would choose is the verb bet Resh kaf, that the relationship will be what a bracha. Can you imagine that? You say to a kid, I hope you grow up to be. Well, whatever the end of that sentence is going to be, it's not going to be bracha. That's not what people say. And here, Kaddish Bo said to Abu Ravina, You will grow up to be a bracha. And he said, You know what that means? Your relationship. And the relationship of your children to the entire world will be a relationship of bracha. If they're nice to you, they will be blessed. If they're not nice to you, they will be cursed. And you will be somehow the conveyor of bracha for all the nations of the world. And Rashi says, Okay, this is a, a Rashi worth learning, but we're not going to do that now. In other words, everybody's going to say to his children, I hope you like Avram Avinu. I hope you have that Avram Avinu in you. So that's one post. There's another post. This post is the Perik Yudchet, Pasuk Yudchet. Perik Yudchet. Pasuk Yudchet. The Abraham, the Pasuk says, it's, it's part of the, the Brit made up of Tarim. Abraham Hayo Yeyele Goy Gadol Ba'atzum. Abraham Avinu is going to be a great and powerful nation. V'nivrichu bo kol goyei ha'aretz. Again, a repeat. V'nivrichu bo. Through him, all the nations of the world will receive blessing. One more time. Perikav Chet Pasuk Yudal. Perikav Chet Pasuk Yudal. And now we're talking about about Yaakov Avinu. Ve'yezaracha. Perikav Chet Pasuk Yudal. Ve'yezaracha Kafar Aretz. Again, the bracha of Abraham. Yaakov is reminded of that bracha when he leaves Eretz Yisrael on his way to the house of Lovah. Your descendants will be like the sand. They will be, that's how numerous they will be. And you will be all over, right? And then it says, That's what it says. So I'll tell you what I think. I think what Rashi and the Rambam, I also have the, I, the text of the Rebbe Bechayu, which I didn't learn with you. I was optimistic, but like I always say, it's something to do on Shabbos. Here's Yaakov Avinu standing before the king of Egypt. And I want to tell him something. 
I mean, he's in a weak position, Yaakov. Not very weak, but weak. I mean, he's the son of Yosef, which is important. But Yosef is not really a king. Yosef is talented. And his job depends on his talent. No talent, no job. There's no doubt that his children are not going to become the kings of Egypt as he was. So Yosef is that odd position. He's the court Jew. You know, in the generation he does, he's terrific with uh, fine finances. He's good with computers. He's a handy guy to have around. But he's not really part of the family. Now, what is the story according to Paro? What's going on? How would Paro understand himself what was happening? Well, clearly, Paro would say, look, I'm the one who had the dream. And I was the one who was smart enough to pull Yosef out of jail. And I was the one who let Yosef collect all the things he wanted to collect during the seven years of famine. I mean, I'm the one. That's Paro. Paro says, you know, you know Brocha? That's me. I'm Brocha. And Yaakov Avin representing Am Yisrael in history. Looks at Paro Melech Mitzrayim and has to give him a message. And the message is about the truth of it. And he says to Paro, you don't understand. I'm wrong. That everything that happened happened because of me because of my family and because of the future of Klal Yisrael. And Yaakov says to Taro, you want to see? You want to see how much I am bracha? Because your dream cannot stand up to my bracha. And he sent him to the Nile. Or they went together. And when Yaakov Avinu came to the Nile, the river started coming up, Brocha, and he said to him, to Paro, you come here every day, and everything will be fine. And Paro said, well, what about my dream? So Yaakov said, your dream's not important, but the interpretation of the dream is important. And therefore, those years will be recorded sooner or later as years of famine. And that's the subtext that somehow the means that was used by heaven to get Yaakov and his family to come to Mitzrayim was brocha. Was brocha, right? There was no food in Canaan. There was a lot of food in Mitzrayim. So there was a kind of brocha situation. Now the brocha situation, as he understands it, he, Yaakov Avinu, understands it, kind of denies the promise that was made twice to Avram Avinu, and which was said ultimately to Yaakov when he was on his way out of Eretz Yisrael, leaving Eretz Yisrael. So Yaakov comes to Yaakov comes to Paro uh, uh, and tells him, "No, I am." the source. I am the source of Bruch. And this in spite of the fact that my life has been difficult and that I have gone into been in different situations and the situation has not always been positive nevertheless. I understand. And you Paro should understand that the source of Bruch in the world is Avram Avinu followed by Yitzchak and now Yaakov and I can prove it to you by taking you to the Nile. So that exegetically, or in terms of parashanut, what do you see? You see two stories. Both stories of importance. Both stories are important for us. But it's interesting that Chazal understood, as the Ramban explains, Chazal understood that there was an ideological confrontation here 
that Akhtarish Bokhu was somehow a partner in making Paro think that he was responsible, that he could do it, that he had some kind of ultimate power over history and destiny. And so Akhtarish Bokhu, through Yaakov, comes to teach Paro and to teach us, to teach us that the tzaddikim in some way control bracha and while it's true that there is a there's a, a, a up and down to the bracha because the tzaddikim are not always able in the same way to affect that bracha nevertheless we believe and we understand and we've learned from this parasha and from this conversation of Yaakov Avinu with Paro Melech Mitzrayim that somehow the bracha that comes into the world depends very much on the position of the tzaddikim, on the righteous, the ones who receive the mantle of bracha from HaKadosh and not on the accidental events that happen in the history that takes place outside of us. And the fact of the matter is that different people can look at the same events in history and see them differently. That's certainly true. And that's not something that has to make us nervous. I mean, it's not something, I mean, the fact that we sometimes see things in a special way or in a different way is the result, after all, of the way we've educated ourselves, the way Rashi taught us to be and the way the Ramban taught us to be. So if the other people didn't have the benefit of that kind of education, we really can't be too annoyed with them or too unhappy with the situation. But you have this confrontation an accidental or incidental confrontation in which Yaakov Avinu tries to explain to Paro what's really going on. And there's a question of bracha, and the bracha belongs to Avram, belongs to Yaakov, and not to Paro, and to the people of Mitzrayim. Have a good Shabbos.